Well, good morning. Let's take a moment to pray before we jump in to the word. Lord, we thank you for you are worthy of all our praise and all the honor and all the glory, God. For you have done what no one else could do. You've taken our place. You're the perfect, sinless sacrifice in our place. And we praise you and thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So normally, normally, normally I don't have much of an issue driving through a parking lot at about 10 kilometers an hour. But there was one time that I had a big issue with it. Now, when I was in high school, our youth group came up with this, probably what we thought at the time, was a brilliant ministry strategy for the church. We would provide, us 16, 17-year-old guys in the youth group, would provide a valet service on Sunday mornings for the people of the church. Uh, so we would, you know, they'd come up to the front doors and get out and we'd take their cars. I mean, it's a valet service. We'd go park their cars for them because, I mean, grew up in northern Saskatchewan, a little cold sometimes, a little icy, a little snowy. You're like, hey, you know, this could be a good, good ministry opportunity. Uh, I'm not recommending, recommending that we do that here, but anyways, it's what we did. So I remember first day that we started this, I was standing in line. There was probably like two or three other guys in front of me waiting our turn, you know, us I don't know, there were no girls that did it with us for some reason. It was just us guys. I don't know what it was. Anyways, waiting my turn. Eventually it gets to my turn to, you know, drive somebody's vehicle or whatever. And I kind of look, look down the road and here comes this, like, mint, pristine. It looked like it had been freshly polished, like, Cadillac. I don't know what Cadillac it was, but it was, like, fully loaded. Seats were, like, leather. I'm sure they were, like, massage seats or something. Anyways, it was probably the nicest vehicle I will have ever driven in my entire life. And I had driven all of three vehicles at this point. And one of them was my mom's van. So this was like, uh, my, my heart went up into my throat. And I was like, uh, okay, that, that parking lot just became a minefield, you know, of, of war zone of having to be careful. So this, this older gentleman gets out of the vehicle, gives me his keys, and just walks into the church. And I was like, What? So I get in, and I'm like sweating, and I'm shaking, and I'm nervous. I'm like, I probably felt like I was getting puke. I mean, I drive like five kilometers an hour, and I go and find the closest spot so I don't have to sit in this vehicle too long. I mean, there was 12 vehicles in the parking lot. It wasn't that intense, but it was just that there was something of value on the line. And when there's something of value on the line, like the intensity is raised, right? Things seem a little bit more intense when we find out kind of what's at stake. And in this passage that I want to look at today, Paul reminds us what's on the line, what's at stake. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, on your phones, your apps, or whatever, to the book of 2 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 1, we're going to kind of jump in uh, verse 8, kind of in the middle of Paul's thoughts, because Paul, the way he writes, is in like big run-on sentences, and they just keep going and going and going, and sometimes it's hard in English to really capture a huge run-on sentence, so we kind of have to put periods in there. We're going to jump kind of in the middle of his thought here, starting in verse 8. This is about when Jesus is coming back. This is what he's talking about. When he comes back with flaming fire, he will met out punishment on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
They will undergo the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his strength when he comes to be glorified among his saints and admired on that day among all who believed. And you, in fact, did believe our testimony. And in this regard, we pray for you always that our God will make you worthy of his calling and fulfill by his power your every desire for goodness and every work of faith, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is coming back with flaming fire. Elsewhere in scripture, it says the mountains will melt as like snow. The prophet Micah, he calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. In Joel, he says it will be a day of bitter tears when even the strongest of men will cry out. It will be a day of darkness and punishment, but also a day of glory and beauty. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.16. To one of us, it is an aroma that brings death but to the other, an aroma that brings life. So this is the thing. Jesus is coming back. I don't know if you guys all knew that, but heads up, he's coming back. And in this passage, Paul tells us what's going to happen. And there's two things I want to pull out from this passage that he's telling us what, that is going to happen. Number one, he's going to dish out punishment. Number two, he will be glorified by his saints and in his saints. His people, Christians. But I think it's really, really important that we understand what's going on here. We kind of get this, this, bigger, this bigger picture. Because this, Christ coming back at this moment, this is what I would call the great reckoning. This is everything being made right. Because is there not injustice in our world? Do we not look around and see wrongs? Horrific things. Boys and girls kidnapped, sold into slaves. Men, women, children murdered. Their killers walk free. It's happening on the earth. People are abandoned, hurt, abused, bullied, ridiculed, shamed, cast aside. All by people that God made. We're all made in his image. And so we cry out, don't we? <laughs> God, why do you let this happen? Why is this still going on in our world? How come you're letting them get away with it? Why don't you act now? Why are you waiting until you're going to deal with this? Well, you know Why? because he does not desire that any should perish. But all would be saved. He is waiting in hopes of people being saved. Romans says that he endures and he waits with great patience in hopes that some are saved. Because that is his desire. He wants all to be saved. But he's not going to force you. He's calling out to you to respond. So today, it's not too late right now to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. That we are all sinners. And we can't pay for our sin. There's nothing we can do with it. 
We're just going to get punished eventually. But Jesus Christ, he can pay for our sin. He did pay for our sin in the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ for my sin and your sin. So we can respond to that message and come and follow Jesus, place our faith in him and our lives in service to him. It's not too late. I would encourage you, if you have not done that, today's the day. Because he will not wait forever. There is a day coming when he will come back and punish sin. Because all sin must be punished. It says in Colossians 3.25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. All the horrific things that we see going on in this world, things we have done, things others have done, they will be punished. All things will be made right. No one's going to get away with it. No lying tongue, no cheating heart. God sees all and he knows all. And he will punish. I mean, that's why it says in Romans 12, 19, do not repay evil for evil. Don't avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, this is God speaking, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what we see here, Christ coming back, this is him keeping a promise. He's like, I said I will repay and I will. God always keeps his promises. But there's a little bit of a problem with this, isn't there? Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all sin must be punished. We have all sinned. We must all be punished, right? But that's why we love Jesus, is it not? That he took our place. It was his death that paid for my sin. Because it should have been me. It should have been you. But it was Christ. All sin will be punished. Either you will pay for it yourself or it will be punished in Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, Jesus had to die on the cross because God had actually left some sins unpunished of the forefathers. It says in Romans 3.25, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. He takes our place. And people are made right with God when they believe in Jesus and sacrificed his life and shed his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back, when he passed over sins in past times. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Joseph. Their sins God passed over because he was punishing Christ for their sin. In, ch in chapter 1, verse 5, I find it very interesting. It says that this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. His judgment, his punishment is righteous, which means that the punishment fits the crime. So if, if, if we're here and we're thinking, oh man, that punishment is too severe, then we think the crime is not that bad. And then maybe that's why we keep doing it and we're stuck in it because we don't really think it's that bad. But it is. So God will pour out his righteous judgment on two groups of people, as the text says. 
The first group of people is those who don't know God. And the second group of people is those who don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at those two groups. Let's start with the first one, those who don't know God. What is he talking about here? Don't know God, don't know of God, don't know, believe in the right God or whatever. John 17.3 says this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This knowing God, this is what we talk about as the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? It'd be like if I said, hey, do you know some famous celebrity? Like, I don't know, I can't think of one that's not flawed. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay, we'll just say there's somebody in our church. Hey, like, well, I'm going to pick on my wife because I know that's probably safer to pick on her than anybody else. Be like, hey, do you know my wife, Bobby Barkman? And either like, well, I know of them, but like, no, do you know them? If you know them, you have to have met them. You've had to have, have a conversation with them. So it's like, do you know Jesus? It's like, well, I know of him. No, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have conversation with him? Do you let him speak into your life? This is what he's talking about. Do you know God? Faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what saves Christ alone. And to know Jesus is to know God the Father because Jesus is the perfect and exact representation of God the Father. So if you want to know what God in heaven is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what he thinks about a certain issue, look to Jesus. If you want to know how he deals with people, look to Jesus. That is how God is exactly. Jesus said, I only do and I've only done what I've seen my Father do. And the first thing we see is Jesus comes to the earth. And what does he say? He says, I am not here to condemn the earth and the people on the earth, but to save them. That's why Jesus was here. That was his heart. That was his goal, to save, not to condemn. Because he does not desire that any should perish. So to know God, the first group of people, it's to know Jesus Christ. The second group, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obeying the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean to obey the gospel? Well, I would say it very simply. It starts with confession. I've sinned. I'm wrong. Christ is right. And then it moves to repentance, which is? turning away from my sin. That's why Jesus, when he was interacting with people, he's like, and go and sin no more. It is a putting away of the sinful ways. And then for the rest of your life, you live in submission to Jesus Christ. That's, an, that's obedience to the gospel. Confession, repentance, and submission to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, I find this interesting. You can know there's a God. You can believe that there is a God and still not obey him. Did you catch that? That's a sobering thought. You can believe there is a God and still not obey him. Because that's what James says. He says, you believe there is God? Good. The demons believe and they tremble. They believed, but they chose to live in opposition to God and his ways. In Titus 1, 15 and 16, it says, 
To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, both in their minds and their consciousness, they are defiled. Listen to this. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, by the way they live their life, whether they obey him or not. And I love what James, in 122, this is like, you can't get any more plain than this. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Live it out. This might be something that we need to think about in our lives. This caused me to stop and think and examine my own heart and my own life. Do I obey Christ over all and over everything in my life? Or is it a wrestle over that steering wheel? Because his ways are better. His ways are higher. I don't even see the whole picture. I mean, that's why on that day, people will stand before Jesus and be like, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We did all these great things in your name. He responds to them, away from me. I don't know you. Because you can do things, the right thing, with the wrong heart. Not in a relationship with God. That's what he's talking about. Those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of Christ. Now I find it very interesting that the, the last thing Jesus says while he's on earth, he's like getting floated up into the clouds and he's saying, hey, Go make disciples of all nations. Go, go preach the gospel to all these people and teach them to obey what I've commanded you. So when he comes back, the punishment that's going to happen is those who don't know God and those who don't obey God. When Jesus was leaving, he knew that was coming and he's like, hey, go tell people who don't know about the gospel, about what I've done, and go teach them to obey because those who don't obey get punished. Like, Jesus gave that as our, like, like we say, that's like our big command, like the Great Commission. That's like overarching of our church. It's because he knew what was coming. And he doesn't desire that any perish. He wants everybody to know and have that choice to come and respond to his gospel, to his good news, to what he has done for us. Because, really, he loves us. He loves you. That's why he came. That's why he died on that cross. Because of love. Now we move to verse 9. He goes on. This is saying, these are the groups that are going to get punished, and this is what it's going to be. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So what is that punishment? That's, that's hefty. Eternal destruction. What we have commonly come to call in the church hell. 
You know, Jesus taught about hell more than anybody else. A place, he says, is of darkness, lake of fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth. I've seen and heard, uh, more so even in the last little while, some false teaching on this idea of hell, that hell is only like for a little bit. Like you're only punished for like a thousand years and then they're just, you don't exist anymore. But that's not what this verse teaches. That's not what we see here. This is eternal destruction. This is an ongoing forever thing. I mean, that word eternal, when you look it up, it means everlasting, forever, never ending, from the beginning of time, forevermore. We can't get around this. This is Paul setting the stakes as to what is on the line. It's eternity. Now, I had a really hard time this week trying to come up with a good example of, well, this is kind of what eternity is like because it's just, it's just forever. I'm, I mean, you just say that, and it like, seems like, okay, yeah, sure, right. After first service, one of our elders came and gave me a great example. I mean, it doesn't even give the whole scope. But you, you went, if you went to the ocean and you had a thimble, and every day you took a thimble of water out of the ocean to empty the ocean. When the ocean is empty, eternity is just beginning. Can we even comprehend this? Like, this is huge. This is what is on the line. And I think so often for us, like, as believers, we sometimes, ah, you know, being a Christian is kind of boring. What? I think we think it's boring because we forget that eternity is at stake. We forget what is on the line. Because we get so disillusioned by the comforts and the things of this world rather than looking to the next to come, which is far greater. For those who don't know Christ and don't follow Christ, eternity is on the line. So when you're at the store, the person in front and behind you at your workplace, in your school, the people who don't know Jesus, their eternity is on the line. So do you think that can be a little bit of a motivator for us? Are, are we okay with like getting a little awkward and stepping out of our comfort zone for eternity to tell someone? It's like, oh, I might get ridiculed or shamed. Well, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. All the disciples, they were killed. Because to them it was worth it. But I want to point out something out, else that I think is really important. It's not just that eternal destruction and punishment is on the line. But also eternal glory is also on the line. The other side of the coin, if you would, if you would say. Take, take, a, take a look in verse 9 and 10 of what the punishment entails. So they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and marveled at among all who believe. Did you catch that? Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Part of this punishment, and I would submit to you, 
the biggest part of this punishment is you don't get to see Jesus. You don't get to be with Jesus. And his glory. And his awesome wonder. It says he'll, he'll be showing up to be marveled at by his people. Just standing in awe and like, wow. This is far better and far greater than anything I could ever imagine. And not getting to be with Jesus' punishment. This is like the ultimate you know, as a, as a child, if your parents ever had a party and you had to go to bed, but the party's still going on and you're like sitting in your room, like not sleeping, because you can kind of hear little bits of the party. You're like, oh, I want to be over there so bad, but I can't. It's going to be a thousand times worse than that. Missing out on being with Jesus in his glory for eternity. So there is a lot on the line. When he returns... His followers will bask in his glory. It says actually that Jesus will even be glorified in us and us in him. It's going to be like we're going to share in his glory, which is something that i got to spend more time studying because this just blows my mind that we get to share part of Jesus' glory and like, anyways, awesome. But it's not that they just don't get to see Jesus. They're punished. In eternal destruction. I mean, this isn't the funnest of things to think about all the time, is it? But this is the truth. And God has warned us for a reason. Because he wants us to know. He's a good father. He warns his children about what's coming. Hey, if you touch that stove, you're going to burn yourself. Just warning you. We still make our own decisions. We still mess up. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ that he has covered my sin. So I will walk in submission to him and follow him my whole life. It's interesting when you look at this. Basically what Jesus says here when he comes back is like, if you don't want any part of me on this earth, you don't get any part of me in the life to come. And that is the reality. I encourage you um, to study also verses 11 and 12, which I didn't really touch on today uh, or this morning, because um, there's a lot in those as well. Really cool stuff. Um, but two things to remember from this. Jesus is calling. He is waiting patiently for us to come to him. It's not too late. Today is the day. If you have not said I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. Please. Today's the day. After the service, we're going to have people up here to pray with you. They'd love to tell you more about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to tell you more about him. If you don't know God, we'd love to tell you more about him. It's not too late. But he will not wait forever. And I think that's the second thing. For us who know, who know God and who Walk in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we going to take that message? Are we going to go with eternity at stake in our minds? I have it written on the wall in my office. Eternity is at stake because I want it as a constant reminder. This isn't just, oh, I do this for fun. No, this is serious, guys. 
We have a high calling to spread this news about Jesus, and I pray that we would do that for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for Christ, for your son who took our place. My sin was placed upon his shoulders, God. What can we do but lift your name high, but honor your name? We thank you, God. Amen.